Father, we just thank you again for what you're teaching us through this book of 2 Peter. And Lord, we look at this stern warning you have for today for uh, false teachers and those who follow false teachers. And Lord, there's a lot of false teaching out there. Lord, there's only one way you, you've shown us, and that's through your word, to, if we're going to find truth. And that's through the word, Jesus Christ. And he is the way and the truth and the life, Father. And we thank you so much that you have revealed your truth to us through your word and Lord it's here for us to read and and uh, Lord when we read it and you anoint it by your Holy Spirit and when we study it like we study it today and you anoint it by your Holy Spirit Lord we know that this is the truth and so Father we just ask uh, I ask if there's anyone here today who who's not a believer that that Lord today would be the day you touch their heart to see just how critical things are and and uh, how desperate they are uh, for uh, a Savior and for Jesus Christ. And Lord, for all of us who, who uh, can claim to be born again, Lord, uh, you, you remind us in your word to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Lord, there's a warning here for people who pretend to be Christians and still live in sin. And so, Lord, uh, uh, it's a tough text uh, You've given us here, so I ask that you just anoint it in a powerful way by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and uh, that we learn what you would have us to learn today. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. When I was a kid just a few years ago, it wasn't that long ago, but, but w- that's not funny. When I- <laughs> When I was a child, I used to play with these little, if you looked at your bulletin, these little green plastic soldiers. Did any of y'all play with those when you were a kid? I mean, I really liked those soldiers because they had these little plastic helmets and these little plastic weapons. But, you know, I knew deep down inside that they were fake. So when I became an adult, I had to quit playing with those things. And the main reason I quit playing with with them is because my wife is so immature. Every time I'd set my little army man up, she would knock him over. So I quit playing with army men. No, I quit a long time ago. But in today's text, Peter's going to talk to us about teachers who have permeated the church. And you could call them plastic teachers because they look like the real thing, but they're really fakes. And he started out last week with this really stern warning about plastic teachers. So go with me to chapter number 2 of 2 Peter. And let's begin there in in, uh, verse number 1. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people. And he's talking about in the days of the Old Testament, there were all sorts of false prophets. You remember when the nation of Israel was about to be judged and the true prophets came along like Jeremiah and Isaiah and and all of the Zechariah and all of Ezekiel and all of those great prophets. But there were were many more prophets out there. Uh, They were were really like uh, islands in Israel. In, in the land of Israel and giving the truth. But there were all of these false prophets out there uh, proclaiming lies, proclaiming that everything was all right. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. You're going to be fine. And we have those false prophets today. And so, so uh, Peter says here, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he was speaking to the churches in Asia Minor, but he's speaking to the church today. There are false prophets and false teachers out there. And, and, and he gave us the 
main way that you can recognize them, he says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And here's the main heresy, even denying the Lord who bought them. And they will bring on themselves and the people who follow them swift destruction. So there you have it. There are a lot of false teachers out there. There are a lot of false prophets out there. But you know what? You don't really have to worry about it because no, not many people are going to follow false prophets, are they? Yeah, you better believe they do. Look at verse number two. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many will follow their destructive ways. What's he mean by many? He means many. In fact, I would say, I would take it one step further. By that word, he means the vast majority of the people will follow after false prophets. That's exactly what Jesus said. You remember what he said over in Matthew chapter 7? You don't have to turn there, but in verses 13 and 14, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, eternal life, and there are few, few, few who find it. And that word few there in the Greek is micros, from which we get microscope, microscopic. The number of people who are going to find the way to heaven, the way to the Father, the way to the Lord, are very, very, very few. And there's only one way. What's the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. me. What, is, what did he mean by no one? When he said no one comes to the Father except by me, what did he mean by that? All you scholars. He meant no one. No one comes to the Father except by me. And if someone teaches you that there are other ways to the Lord, they are blaspheming the only true way. That's what he says right here in verse number two, because of whom the way of truth, the only way of truth, Jesus Christ, will be blasphemed. Listen to me. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You're not going to get there through the law. You're not going to get there through your good works. You're not going to get there through Mohammed. You're not going to get there through Buddha. You're not even going to get there through Mary. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's what the Word says. And so you can only know the Father through Jesus Christ. You can only make it to heaven through Jesus Christ. And if someone comes along preaching something else, then they're not leading you to God. They're not leading you to the pearly gates. They're leading you to the gates of hell. That's where you're heading if you're deceived by these t teachers. And, you know, I'm afraid in America that a lot of people are deceived because there are so many false teachers out there. We've got one pastor after the other today declaring that they're America's pastor. I mean, it used to be Billy Graham, and that was, when I heard that, that was okay. But some of these quacks that they're declared, I mean, I know that's a little blunt, but let me use the word quack. Some of these quacks that they're declaring to be 
America's pastors are saying when they're asked, are there other ways that lead to heaven? Oh, you know, God's such a loving God. I know, you know, there's got to be, you know, he, he really wishes that none should perish. That's true. The Bible says that. He wishes that none should perish. And so they say, you know, he wishes that none should perish. And I just got to believe that he wants everybody to make it to heaven. He does want everybody to make it to heaven. But when you say that, or when you teach that doctrine, you're leaving out the other, a major part of Christ's doctrine, and that is, or God's doctrine, and that is that God will judge sin. He is going to judge sin. What did he say about sin? The wages of sin is what? Death. And so God is not going to wink at sin. Sin has to be dealt with. If you want to one day see God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to make it to heaven, you better deal with your sin. And there's only one way, one way to deal with your sin, and that's through that cross. That's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his blood. Because God is a just God. And if you believe there's another way, and you, you're teaching that there are other ways, then you're a plastic teacher. You're a plastic Christian. You're a fake Christian. And, and you blaspheme the way. When we say there's another way, don't you see how we blaspheme the way? Yeah, it's almost as if you call God stupid. I mean, God, why would you hang your son on a cross and let him go through the, maybe the worst torture a man has ever experienced on this earth why would you do that if there was some other way? There is no other way. And people that teach that blaspheme the truth and they bring swift destruction on themselves. And if you aren't smart enough to figure that out by listening to these guys and these ladies, if you aren't far, smart enough to figure it out by their doctrine, then you can figure it out by their motive. Look at their motive in verse number three. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. What's their motive? What's their motive? It's covetousness. It's things. It's money. It's power. It's position. That's their motive. You know, when you see a teacher who's driving a Mercedes and they've got their own private jet, and they're living in a mansion, hello, they're probably a false teacher. So don't send them any money. Send it to me. I'll drive an Avalon. No, I'm teasing. And if you follow after them, they're going to exploit you. They're going to take advantage of you. They're, some of these guys, you know, when I taught this passage last time, I named names. I'm more mature than that now, so I won't name names today. <laughs> but I named names, and I told everybody what they were doing. I'm not going to do that. There's so many of them out there now, I couldn't name all the names. But you can spot them. They're real easy to spot. They've got false doctrine. If you can't figure out they've got false doctrine, look at what kind of car they're driving. If it's anything more than an Avalon, then you don't have anything to do with them. I mean, guess all of that's relative. You guys that are driving clunkers probably think, look at that pastor driving that Avalon. Man, he must be, he must be a heretic. 
You know, maybe, maybe you know, there's some pastors out there who were born rich, and, and uh, I don't think there's many of them, and they've got money, and they drive nice cars. So, you know, that's not the only way you can judge them, of course. But when, when they're after money and position and power, and it's all about them, something should go off in your system that says, look out for those people. And they're going to exploit you. And listen to what he says right here. He says, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's a really interesting Greek phrase right there. It's plastos logos. Now, most of y'all have been around here long enough to know what logos means. What's logos? The word. In the beginning, John chapter 1 was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And all things were created by the word. I mean, who's the word? The word. The word is Jesus Christ. Where's his word? His word is this Bible that you're holding in your hands. But there is also a plastic or plastos logos. That's that Greek word. Obviously, we get what word from? We get plastic. Now, they didn't have plastic back in Peter's days. And so the kind of plastic like this light's made of right here, the plastic that we see all over our society, they didn't have that, but the word means the same thing. It's something formed to make an imitation of something that's real. So you can put it in one word, it's a fake. It's a fake, and they will deceive you, he says right here, with fake words. And those fake words often look like the real thing. They're an imitation of the real thing. My first job when I got out of college and out of the military was to work as an accountant in a, for a plastic factory. And that plastic factory made plastic shutters that you could take those shutters and put them up to wood shutters that were painted and you could not tell the difference. You could see the little pieces of grain in the, in the plastic that looked like grain and wood. They made plastic parts for furniture. And back, and back in those days, that was really popular. You would see a piece of furniture and if it had carvings on it, more than likely it wasn't real wood carved. It was pieces of plastic glued to the front of pressed wood. That's what you were getting when you went and bought what looked like gorgeous furniture. But I knew better when I went and bought furniture, I would tap on it, and if it was hollow, I knew it was plastic. I knew that it was a fake. It wasn't r- the real thing. And, and, and so there are a lot of teachings out there that they, will, they look exactly like the real thing. They're real close to the real thing, but they're plastic. It's a f- plastic, they're plastic words, and it's plastic doctrine. Now, how do you know the real word? You know the real word by studying the entire word in context. Let me tell you what. You can take this word and you can grab a verse here and a verse there out of context and you can come up with plastic doctrine. The only way that you can get real doctrine is to study the entire word in its context from Genesis to where? Almost said Exodus, but you got to go past that. (laughs) From Genesis to Revelation. You got to study it all the way through. You know, all of you should be studying the Bible all the way through so you won't be deceived by plastic doctrine, by plastic teachers. Now, the question that comes to my mind at this point, actually two questions come to my mind, really it's the same question, 
worded in two different ways or looked at in two different lights. The first question is, why would God allow people to be deceived? You know, if I was God, I would take some of those guys and they're out blowing on people and and doing all of these crazy things, you know what I'd do? I'd just strike, while they were doing that, I'd just send a piece of lightning down and strike them down dead on the spot. They better be glad I'm not God. But all of y'all at one point have teed me off, and I probably would have struck y'all down too. So you better be glad I'm not God too. And I'm glad you're not God. Isn't it great that we have a great God, a patient God? So I asked myself, why does God allow these people to, to exist. I mean, why does he allow people, first of all, why does he allow people to be deceived? And the second question is, why does he allow these false teachers to keep teaching their stuff? Why does he do that? Well, let me, there's, you will get a good clue to the first question, why he allows people to be deceived over in 2 Thessalonians. Go with me there. Go back about four or five books back towards Matthew, and you'll find 2 Thessalonians. And the passage I'm going to show you here is the passage about the Antichrist. All you want to know about the Antichrist and who he is, I'm going to tell you today. No, I'm not going to tell you who he is. But this is a, this is a passage about the Antichrist. And, and the reason I'm coming to this passage is because it's in this passage or in, the, in this time period that the greatest deception of all time will take place. And we're heading to that now. And the more... the quicker we come to the time of the end, the more and more we're going to see these antichrists, these false teachers. And the more and more we're going to see people duped by these false teachers. And I got to say, Lord, why are you get rid of all of them? I mean, why are you allowing people to be duped? Well, he shows us why in this passage about the antichrist, the, the greatest plastic leader ever. Listen to what he says beginning in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse number 8. Listen to what he says. He says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Who is that? The Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You know what? I'm not worried a bit about the Antichrist. God's already got his number. He's already written down that he's going to be destroyed. He doesn't, he doesn't scare me one bit. And I'm not going to be around here when he's wreaking his havoc. I'm going to be out of here. He says... And then he says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Is according to the work of, working of Satan, but you're going to see in a minute that it's God who brings this guy on the scene. He uses Satan to bring the Antichrist on the scene with all power, signs, and living, lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among, who's he going to deceive? Among those who will perish or who perish. And here's the reason they're deceived. Here's the reason God allows the Antichrist to come on the scene because they did not receive, actually let me reword that, they did not love the truth. They wanted to believe a lie. They wanted to live a lie and that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. Who's the strong delusion? The Antichrist and the false prophet. He's going to send that strong delusion in all of those lies. He sends out these Antichrists. Satan does it, but God allows it. 
that they should believe a lie. He wants them to believe a lie. Why does he want them to believe a lie? That they all may be condemned. Man, that, wait a minute. That's the God, that's, you're messing with the Bible here. That's not the God of the New Testament. Oh, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament, the same God, people. Let me tell you. He says, he says, and for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they shall believe a lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They loved darkness. As Paul says in Romans 1, we are without excuse. We are out ex- without excuse because we choose to suppress the truth and we choose to believe a lie. And why do we choose to believe a lie? Why do we like lies more than truth? Because Look at the last part of verse number 12. Because we have pleasure in unrighteousness. And we don't want anybody messing with our unrighteous ways. And so we want our ears tickled. We want plastic teachers. We want people to tell us what we want to hear. And that's exactly what happens and is happening in this day. And, and Paul predicted it perfectly over in 2 Timothy. Go one book over to 2 Timothy. Actually, I think it's one book. Go to 2 Timothy 1 or 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And listen to what he says there. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 3. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. What are itching ears? Ears that want to hear what they want to hear. They will heap up for themselves teachers, false teachers, plastic teachers, and those plastic, and, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be, and, and be turned aside to fables. Why? Because they don't love the truth of God. They don't want God to rule over them. They love unrighteousness. They love their sin. They love living in sin, and they don't want that changed. You can't find a passage more applicable to today's environment as far as the word of God goes, as far as the church goes. The churches are full today with people that want their ears tickled. If you want your ears tickled today, you came to the wrong place. It ain't happening in this passage, I can tell you right now. And that's why we teach verse by verse through the Bible. Because it's not always tickling your ear. You know what? A lot of times it's a nice slap in the face. That's what we're getting here today. A nice slap in the face. I know some of you saying, man, what I get up and get dressed and come over to this place for? I mean, I came to hear something encouraging. We're going to get something really encouraging here in a minute. So hang in, so hang in there with me. Now, the, question, the second question that i got to ask is, and again, same question in a different light, is why does God allow these guys to exist? Why doesn't he strike them down dead right now? Here's the answer. He will. He's going to. Man, I'll tell you what. He's got a place reserved from them, a very, very scary place. A place he's got reserved for plastic teachers is the same place where he's got devils chained up. The same place where plastic Christians are going. If you think for a minute 
that you can live in sin and ignore the truth of God and ignore the cross, you're heading to a very scary place. A very scary place. Listen to what he says in the next, in, back in verse number three. He says, their destruction does not slumber. Go back to verse number, uh, verse number one. They bring swift, upon themselves swift destruction. They're not going to get away with their false teaching. People who follow them aren't going to get away following after false doctrine. They're bringing on themselves swift destruction. Their destruction does not slumber. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. One day their destruction is coming. And it's a terrible destruction. And he describes that in verse number four. Listen to verse number four. He says, for God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He's not going to spare them. And he's not going to spare their followers. The word for hell here is a very interesting Greek word. The normal word used for hell is Gehenna. This is the Greek word Tartarus. And if you're familiar with Greek mythology, you know about Tartarus. Tartarus is the place in the netherworld, down below the earth. It's a place of utter darkness. I mean, that's what it's, I believe that's the way it's described here. He says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into to hell and delivered them into into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Tartarus is a place of darkness. We see that. That word is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's used right here. It's also used in the apocryphal book Enoch, which is quoted in the book of Jude. But that's the only place it's used in any kind of scripture. And, and he's, got a, he's making a point right here of just how bad it really is. And Peter was speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit, so he wasn't speaking of some mythical place. He was speaking of a real place. A deep, dark place below this earth where evil is punished. And the first people to inhabit that place were the angels who rebelled against God. Now some of those angels are still roaming this earth. About a third of them, they're with Satan. But remember, at the end of the great tribulation, Satan will be cast down into the earth. He'll be cast down to Tartarus with the rest of the angels, and they will spend eternity. They won't spend eternity there. They will spend the time of the of the millennium there, and then after the millennium there, they will be cast into the lake of fire with their followers, and they will live there forever and ever, and they will be tormented day and night. Forever and ever and ever. And if you don't believe that, God, that's tough. <laughs> that's the truth given in the word of God. If you don't believe that, don't believe John 3.16 because it's the same Bible I've got that talks about Tartarus, talks about for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the same God. That's the same Bible. And God is just and there is a hell. There is a place of punishment. And he's not going to allow these 
plastic teachers and their plastic followers to get away with what they're doing. They are going to be punished. Now, I say that almost with tears in my eyes because that's terrible. It's terrible to God. But for God to be just, he has to punish sin. And so when all of these teachers out there, and they are most of the teachers in America today, will tell you there's no hell. There is a hell. It's and, and let me tell you what, you don't go to hell when you die if you're an unbeliever. You go to Tartarus. You go down where those demons are chained. You go down there with all the other unbelievers. That's a scary place to go. If you don't know the Lord, I'm telling you, get right with the Lord because you don't want to die and go to this terrible place. He gives one example, angels. I mean, these beings that were created to praise and worship God. If God would send them to hell, you don't think he would send you to hell? Or false teachers to hell? And there's some other examples. You know, here's another example that has been washed under the, uh, or put under the carpet. Nobody wants to talk about it. The fact that God destroyed this world in a flood. The pre-flood, every person who lived in that pre-flood time were destroyed and sent to Hades. I believe Hades and Tartarus are the same place. Hades had two compartments. It had paradise and it had, it had Tartarus. It had this terrible place. Paradise got wiped out. Go back to 1 Peter if you want to figure this all out and listen to the tape. But Hades, I mean, paradise, everybody now to, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So you don't go below the earth if you're a born again believer. You go straight to be with the Lord. But when the thief on the cross died, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't go to heaven the day he died. He went into, he went into the ground. He went into the lower earth, the lower parts of the earth. But now, if you die, all of you that die, where are you heading? I'm heading to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But God's serious, and that's what Peter's trying to show us. He's serious about his judgment. Look at verse number five. And he did not spare the ancient world. How many people did he kill? All of them but eight. But, he, but here's the good news. He saved Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Everyone, everybody else perished in that flood. And when they perished, they went to the lower parts of the earth. Not very good news for them. Is God serious? Is God about numbers? Is God say, well, I, I couldn't kill a million people. You, you know, they, they say there was many, there were billions of people on earth at that time based upon the way the population has exploded since Noah, that there were probably at least a billion people on earth, and they were wiped out. God Almighty, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament, killed a billion people. You think he's serious? He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, here's the next example, in the ashes. What he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's not past doing again today. 
He says there, he says, he condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. I don't have to tell you what the word Sodom means or what it's attributed to. But it was attributed to a society where homosexuality was rampant, where adultery was rampant, where there were all sorts of evil sexual sins going on. And everything was okay. And you know what they thought? God's a loving God and he'll never destroy this city. And when he had had enough of it, he brought fire and brimstone down on that city and he didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate. So there are three very tough examples right there that he gives us. And, and man, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to stop. But we, let's get to the good news. There's some really good news right here. In verse 5, there's some good news. Eight people were delivered. Now, that's not a good number. But you know what that tells me? Eight people were delivered. That's good news, that the people who knew God were delivered. There were only eight of them, but they got delivered. But now let me give you some really great news. Here's the great news. Because I wonder sometimes, you know, I mean, we're living in really difficult times, and, and I look around, and, and I wonder, you know, I see the beginnings of judgment on this nation, this very nation, this great nation, what used to be a great godly nation. I see the beginnings of judgment on this nation. And I wonder what's going to happen to me and my family. And, and then I can look at Noah and I can say, well, Noah got delivered. But man, Noah was a pretty good guy. I'm not, such, I'm not that great of a guy. I've done some really bad things. You know, Lord, are you going to deliver me? Well, here's the really great news. Look at verse number seven. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Wait a minute. Righteous Lot? Righteous Lot? I mean, what do you mean, righteous Lot? I remember telling my mother I was going to preach a sermon called Righteous Lot. She said, You're crazy. Righteous, Lot, Lot, Lot isn't righteous. You're always, she said, you've always been a rebel. You're always doing crazy things. She knew me well. But, but I understood where my mother was coming from. Righteous, Lot? I mean, you guys remember Lot, don't you? I mean, you remember Abraham got called to the promised land and Lot went with him. I think his motives were, man, my uncle's, pretty wealthy. He's probably going to get more wealthy. I'm going to get wealthy too. So he left and he went with, he left and he went with Abraham and, and uh, it wasn't long that God just blessed Abraham and Lot was receiving the, the leftovers of those blessings and both of their herds got so big that they couldn't live together and so they split up and they, they, there was two places to go. There was one that looked like a wilderness and one that looked like the Garden of Eden. Guess, one, guess which one Lot chose? He didn't care how wicked the place was or what was going on in the place. He chose the plains of Jordan and he went down to Sodom. And he wasn't down at Sodom long and then there was this war that broke out between the kings. You remember that? 
And, and the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, they got captured and Lot got captured with them. And Abraham grabbed his soldiers and, uh, or actually his servants. He made an army out of his servants and he went on the, with the power of God and he rescued Lot and his family. And what did Lot do? He said, man, I'm never going back to that wicked Sodom again. What did he do? He marched right back in and went into Sodom again. He became a leader in Sodom. He was living at the gates of Sodom. I mean, he was at the gate of Sodom. That meant he was a, a, the mayor of Sodom or a judge in Sodom. He was a very important person in Sodom. But Sodom was getting wicked, more and more wicked by the minute. He got so wicked that the angel of the Lord, who is none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord came with two other angels and they came to visit Abraham. And they told Abraham what they were going to do. They were going to destroy Sodom. Now, what do you, who do you think Abraham thought of right away when the angels said they were going to destroy Sodom? He thought of Lot and all of his family. And probably by then, Lot had 30 or 40, maybe 100 people who were part of his family. And so Abraham immediately interceded for Sodom. And he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, if, I mean, you're, you're, you're a loving God. I mean, would you destroy the city if there were uh, 50 righteous people in that city? And the Lord said, no, I wouldn't. And he said, would you destroy the people if there were 45? And he said, no, I wouldn't. If there were 40, no, I wouldn't. If there were 30, no, I wouldn't. If there were 10, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't destroy that people, people until at least uh, the city until at least those people were out of there. And so the next day, the Lord went in there and, and on, I really believe on Abraham's behalf, Actually, the Lord didn't go there. He sent the two angels in there. And they went to tell Lot to get out of Dodge. You need to get out of the city because judgment is coming on this city. And Lot, when they got there, where was Lot? He was sitting at the gate in this wicked, wicked city. And Lot took them to their house. And he took them, he took them home with him and, and he fed them and and then all of a sudden, all of the men of Sodom came and they said, give us the two angels so that we can have sex with them. That's how wicked and evil these people were. And Lot, what did Lot do? He said, you can't have the angels, but I'll give you my daughters and have sex with them. I mean, how wicked can you get? And then they didn't want the daughters, so they began to beat down the doors. And the angels blinded all the men of the city. And Lot said, man, I think these angels are serious. I'm getting out of town. So he went and told his family, guys, we've got to get out of town. Judgment is coming. And you know what his family said? Lot. Oh, come on, man. Judgment's not really coming. You can't be serious. It shows you how little respect they had for his relationship with the Lord. They had zero respect. And only, the only people that left were Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And they're marching up the hill to get out of Sodom before the fire and brimstone comes down. And his wife, just to show you how much he had done to, to lead her into a righteous relationship with the Lord, she longed so much for Sodom that she looked back. And she looked back and she was turned to a pillar of salt. And so Lot's with these angels and he says, look, I'm a city guy. I don't want to live in the country. I don't want to live up where you've told me to go. I don't want to live up in the mountains. I'm not, I want to live in the city. They said, okay, we'll let you go live in Zor. So they took him 
They allowed him to go up to Zor. He was up in Zor, and they were, Zor is up on a higher plane than Sodom. And he looked down in the valley, and he saw the fire and brimstone come down and destroy that entire city. And you know what he did? He said, I'm getting out of Zor. I, these angels said me, told me to get in the wilderness. I'm getting in the wilderness. You know what he did when he got up in the wilderness? He got drunk. Couldn't handle the pressure. So he laid down. He didn't go in there and pray, Lord God, thank you for saving me or any of that. He went and he got drunk. And his two daughters came in and had sexual relationships with him because they wanted to extend the family line. And they had sexual relationships with him. And they had two sons, one named Ammon and one named Moab, from which we get the Ammonites and the Moabites. They were arch enemies of Israel. Righteous Lot. Righteous Lot. How in the world could Peter call Lot righteous? One way. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The same way Abraham got saved. But here's what I want you to see. How do I know he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness? I can tell you how I know. And, and, and the, this passage tells us why we know that Lot was righteous. Look at the next verse. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. You, under, you see the difference? You see what made him righteous? You see what made him a believer? His soul, he lived in that wicked city. He prospered in that wicked city. I mean, the guy was a terrible witness to his family. He was, a, he was wicked in a lot of ways. I mean, he gave up his own, was willing to give up his own daughters. He had sex with his daughters. I mean, he, when he got in trouble, he drank. I mean, he, he just did all sorts of terrible things. But his soul was vexed, troubled. Day and night by what he saw. Let me tell you. You want to know the difference between a real Christian and a plastic Christian? A real Christian looks out on this world and they are vexed and troubled. By what's going on. You know what troubles me so much about what's going on in the United States of America? People are embracing all of this evil. It vexes my soul. It troubles my soul day and night. And if it doesn't trouble your soul, you're not saved. And let me tell you what. That, you put that on a personal plane. If you can live in sin day after day after day. And it does not trouble your soul. It does not vex your soul. You are not saved. You're not born again. You do not have the spirit of God because the spirit of God is holiness. And if you can live an unholy lie, if you can just live a lie, you better get right with God because you're not saved. You are not born again. I said there was some really good news here. 
There is some really good news here. Some great news. If you are a born again believer. And your desires have been changed. And you long for righteousness. You long more than anything else for righteousness for this nation. And righteousness for this church and righteousness for your own soul. Then go to the Beatitudes and listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled with the holiness of God. If that's what you hunger for. If you take pleasure in unrighteousness, you will never be filled. You'll never even be sealed with the Spirit of God, and you will be duped. You better go find some teachers that will tickle your ears. They're, all, they're out there. They're everywhere. They'll dupe you if you want to be duped. And God will send you an even stronger delusion. You want to be duped? He'll delude you even more. He'll delude you into thinking you're okay if you hate his truth. If you desire sin more than you desire righteousness, he'll let you justify your sin. I keep saying there's good news here. There is. Look at verse number nine. Hey, judgment's coming on all these people, but look at verse number nine. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Better word there is trial. He knows how to deliver the godly out of every trial and to reserve, to reserve the unjust for punishment for the day of judgment in Tartarus, in hell. Hey, we live in an unrighteous world. We're sitting at the gate sometimes in a wicked city. We're involved in all sorts of things that we have to do because we live in a wicked world. And, and that we're living in a world that's, that's being judged right now as we speak. I mean, people will tell you that God didn't cause Tarina, Katrina and God didn't cause the 9-11. God, I don't believe, necessarily caused 9-11, but he certainly allowed it. And I believe we're beginning to see judgment on this land as we speak. But if you love righteousness, then God's going to deliver you out of your trials. He's going to spare you from judgment. He's going to spare you from every temptation that comes your way. If you love righteousness, God knows how to deliver his people. And let me tell you what. There's a great picture right here of the rapture. In Noah was raptured above the judgment and Lot was taken out above Sodom. And, and I'll tell you right now, the worse it gets, look up because our redemption draweth nigh. The Lord is coming back for his own. If you know the Lord and you love righteousness and you're not living in sin. Look, you, John's clear. You practice sin and you will, you're kidding yourself. You're plastic. We all sin. Don't get me wrong. But if you love to sin, if you take pleasure in sin, let me warn you, you're plastic. But if you're not. Look up. 
God's going to take care of his people. I can tell you that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great promise we have here. You'll save a man like Lot, you'll save a man like me. You'll save a man and woman like all of us, Lord. You, you know how to save your own. You know how to spare your own from judgment. You know how to protect your own. Lord, we just thank you for the great promises we have here. And Father, if there's someone here who's on their way to Tartarus and then to hell, Lord, I ask you just to touch their heart with the reality of those terrible places. Lord, give them a hunger for righteousness. Show them the way, Lord, that the only way is through your son, Jesus Christ. Let today be the day of their salvation. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.